in Philippians, and next week we will be too. The Bible is the word of God to us. And in it, we find what it is that God wants to say to us. And so as we read it, we, we discover the truth about God. But as we read, we also find that God is not just interested in what is true for us, but he is also deeply interested in what is good for us. It came through in some of our worship that, that he's our shield. He comes to protect us. He comes to help us. He is interested in meeting the deepest longings of our hearts. And I wonder over these last two years what your heart has been longing for the most. Maybe at times it has been to be able to be in a room with family members who you have loved and haven't seen for so much, so much time or friends. Um, or maybe just any human being that is not your flatmate. Maybe you've been longing to be able to book a holiday and then not just book a holiday, but then actually go on that holiday. Or perhaps you've just been hoping that just for one day, Zoom would be down, and so you could spend just one day away from a screen. Or I'm imagining for all of us, we may not express it quite like this, but that in our hearts, particularly over these last two years, there has been a deep longing for peace. That we have had in this time of unique uncertainty and confusion for us, our whole world has been longing for peace and has been longing for peace for quite some time. If you go into any bookshop, um, they still exist, then you can find the self-help aisle still stacked with books on how do I discover inner peace or how can I unearth and find peace within my heart. It's something that we long for but yet have very little idea of how we can actually go about finding it. But as Paul writes to this Philippian church, he wants to help them discover this same inner peace that eludes so many of us today. And in doing so, he actually gives some remarkably practical instructions on how it is we can actually find this peace we long for. And so today I'm calling my message Pathway to Peace. And we will see how we too can receive this peace that we long for from knowing God and coming to him. So we're going to read from uh, Philippians chapter 4. I'll read from verse 4 through to verse 9. The words will appear on the screen behind me, but if you do have a Bible, whether digital or old school, then, uh, then do read along with me. Verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Now, do you think you could just come and raise my music stand? I'll get a bad neck if I carry on like this. I think it is clear when we read this passage that 
there is a promise of peace in here. We read it in verse 7. It says, the peace of God, that's great, thank you very much, the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds. And then again in verse 9, the God of peace will be with you. And so the question is, how can this peace be ours? Well, Paul begins in verse 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. This is now the fourth and fifth time in this fairly short letter that Paul has said to the Philippian church, rejoice. And he is not saying you know, just be a little bit thankful. Have a little bit of gratitude in your heart. No, the commentator and scholar Tom Wright would say, this word rejoice in its context means to make a loud, outward, public expression of praise, to be exuberant and celebratory in your praise. But this time, as Paul says to the Philippian church, rejoice. He adds in always. Rejoice just like that exuberant expression of praise. Hallelujah. He says, rejoice always. And then if we might be kind of tempted to just gloss over that and move on, he then like reins us back in and says, no, 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 again, I will say rejoice. Paul is like a dog with a bone. He is not letting them get away from it. He's saying, yeah, I want you to rejoice, 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 rejoice. That rejoicing in the Lord for this church he wants it to be cent- worship to be central to their life. And for this church, I think this word always carries so much significance. This Philippian church were really feeling the pressure. They were poor and only really getting poorer as so many economic avenues were cut off for them because of their faith. They'd been rejected by friends and family, turned away. They'd lost jobs. They, had, they were this small group of believers in this vast pagan city that was turning away from them and increasingly squeezing them out of society. And what's more, I mean, these are one of the first churches. They had absolutely no assurance of their future of What does the church even look like in five years' time, ten years' time? Paul's locked up in prison. What is our future going to be like? Essentially, perfect conditions for discouragement, hopelessness, fear to start to creep in. And what does Paul say to this church? Rejoice always. Now, I don't know about you, but so often I do not feel like worshipping. When I first wake up in the morning, I am not thinking, oh, the only thing I want to do now is just break out in song. I want to get back to sleep. When I'm having one of those days where just everything is going wrong, I'm not like digging around looking for a songbook. Just like I can't wait to get into the place of worship. That's not my feeling. And particularly when I am stressed, overwhelmed, discouraged, fearful, Often a desire to worship is just one of the last things on my mind. But yet Paul says, rejoice always. No matter what season we're in, no matter what circumstance, whatever feeling we have, we look away from ourselves, we look away from the things that are in front of us, we look away from that mountain that Fran brought as a prophetic word, and we look up and towards God. This this was Paul. 
This was Paul through and through. His life to this point, he had been wrongly accused of all kinds of things. He had been beaten for his faith. He had been almost stoned to death outside one city. He had had a severing of just about every relationship he had in his previous life. He'd been wrongfully imprisoned. He'd been shipwrecked multiple times. Imagine that. You think, one, that's bad luck. Second, it's like, come on. Chased out of cities, now sat in a cell, wasting away, malnourished, unsure of what the next day looks like. And yet all through this letter, he says, I will rejoice. That's just his constant theme throughout, that the fuel that carried this man and propelled him onwards in his life of ministry, that helped him endure every trial he went through, countless hardships, was that he had learned to be a man of worship, of looking to God in any and every season, making this constant conscious decision I am going to rejoice no matter what comes. And now he's urging the Philippian church and urging us to do the same. And we might think, why? Was Paul just deluded? Was he just a a glutton for punishment? He loved the pain. Was this just some kind of clever coping strategy from Paul? That just like take your eyes off it, distract yourself, escape from the reality of what is going on. No, he says, rejoice always, because there really is always something to rejoice in. Verse 5, the Lord is at hand. Rejoice always, the Lord is at hand. This is one of those beautiful phrases from Paul that is just absolutely saturated with meaning. We're only going to be able to skim the surface of it this morning. He is linking here this passage into the flow that he has been in since the end of chapter 3, where he has started to just lift the gaze of the Philippian church right up into the things of eternity and all that is to come. When Scripture talks of something being at hand, it is talking about something that has come but has yet to be completely fulfilled. We see it in Jesus' ministry. He talks early on, as soon as he kind of shows up on the scene, he says, the kingdom of God is at hand, which means the kingdom of God has really come in his person, but the kingdom of God is yet to come in its fullness and in its complete form. It's at hand. But, he's saying, although it has not yet come, you can be absolutely cast iron, guarantee sure this thing will one day fully come. It is coming. He is fixing the Philippians' mind on their coming king. He's saying, I want you to remember this is not all that there is. That today, hardship, pain, shipwrecks, they are real. But they're not forever. He is at hand. He might not yet be fully here in all of his glory, but he is so close that you can almost touch him. There is a day coming where he will return, and in just one moment, all of the pain, all of the sadness, all of the grief will be undone. The pain of today is true, but Paul is saying, do not forget what is more true. 
your king is coming. That pain is going. But yeah, I don't even think that is the main thing that Paul is trying to say here. I think more in his mind as he writes this is the Lord is at hand. That this coming king is also a present king. That although you cannot yet touch him, you cannot yet see him with your eyes, even so, this king is right at hand. He is right now in your midst with you in all it is that you are facing. This Christ Jesus that Paul has been talking about through all the letter that he has been adoring, this one that is of surpassing worth, that is his goal, his prize, that has given up everything for him, laid down his life for him, but has now been exalted and is the name above every name, this conquering, all-powerful, victorious king of the universe, this one who one day is coming back to wrap everything up, this same king is right now in your presence, with you, in your midst, walking alongside you, never to forsake you. I was so delighted to hear Fran's prophetic word. I was just like, this is bang on what God wants us to know, that he is with us. That as he left this earth, he promised, I will be with you always until the very ends of the age. And he has never gone back on that promise and he never will. That now through his poured out Holy Spirit amongst us and with us, he could not be closer. He is in us, dwelling amongst us. He's beside us. He's around us. Our God is with us. And Paul knows how easy it is for us to forget these things. How easily, particularly in our hardest, most pressured moments, when chaos is going on all around us, that is the only thing that we can look at and we just forget. We don't, do not recognize our God is with us. And so he says, rejoice always because you're not on your own. He's with you. And as you rejoice, you will see it all over again, this is true, that he was never as far away as you thought. He is drawing near to you and he's longing to help you. Because Paul then goes on to say, do not be anxious about anything. And on the face of it, you might think, oh, here is Paul's least helpful pastoral advice ever. I don't know if you've ever been feeling anxious about something and had someone come up to you and say, oh, just don't feel anxious about that. Just don't. There you go. Sorted. Problem solved. You are welcome for my expert pastoral advice. I'm imagining if that has happened to you, you didn't think, oh my goodness, thank you. <laughs> I had not considered that for a moment. That is so helpful, just what I needed to hear. But I think in the context of all that Paul's saying and the flow of it, I think the tone of what he's saying here is you do not have to stay in anxiety. If you find yourself worrying, you do not have to remain in that place. But instead, as he goes on in verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, 
by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I don't know what first jumps out of you about that verse, but for me, it is verbs. Love a verb. Doing words. That in our anxiety, Paul gives us something to do. So often I find worry and anxiety leads to feelings of, of paralysis, of helplessness, of powerless. Uh, there is nothing I can do about this. I am just totally a victim to this. But here Paul is giving power and agency against some of these feelings that he's saying, look, whenever, when we feel ourselves just even just the smallest bit overwhelmed or stressed or anxious about, as he says in verse 6, about anything, here is something that we can do. We can pray. And I think clearly this is an expansion on verse 1 where he talks about in everything by prayer, very similar to where he started in verse 1 of rejoice always. He's saying you can pray, you can worship. And as he lists those various different ways that we can pray in verse 6 with supplication and thanksgiving and letting your requests be made known to God, it's not an exhaustive list, but it's more just an idea of in every circumstance that we face, we can pray in every way. We pray by rejoicing, we pray by singing, we pray by giving thanks, we pray with urgency, we pray in reflective stillness, we pray in very, very specific ways, we pray in tongues, we pray what we want to happen, we pray what we think might happen, we pray standing up, we pray on our knees, we pray in the car, we pray on the school run, we pray walking the dog, pray at day, we pray at night, you get the idea, we pray. It may be the last thing that we want to do, the last thing on our agenda, the last thing that we think will actually help in our situation, but we pray to the one that we know is right there at hand, that is hearing our every word because he is with us. And as we pray, as we take this action, verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Doesn't that resonate with you right now? Don't you feel like that is exactly what you need in order to make your way through 2020? Something, sorry, 2022. I have, I can't, I keep getting it wrong. I, it's one of the things that's frustrating my wife most about me at the moment is I just can't, I'm going back in time. <laughs> I wish my age and appearance was doing the same. Anyway, don't we long for something that will guard our hearts? It came up again in our worship, didn't it? The, the shield of God that comes to us and helps us. 
our hearts and our mind from all of the anxious thoughts and the anxiety that the world would try and throw at us. I mean, we're surrounded by it from clickbait headlines, the, the fear-fueled media that they're just so desperate for our attention that they will put anything out there to try and get our, our views to social media powers that will just bombard our feeds with images that are algorithmically designed to try and trigger low-level anxiety in us so that we will just doom scroll all night to a pandemic that won't end and who knows if it will, what that will look like. And even when it does, we have no idea what world it is that we are actually going to be coming out into. There's every reason to feel anxiety of some kind. And into this cauldron of anxiety that we call 21st century living comes a promise of a peace that will guard our hearts and keep us safe in our innermost being. Isn't that what you need? Isn't that what we so deeply long for? And this piece, verse 7, surpasses all understanding. I think this is really important for us, understanding what this piece actually is. Because we might read that and think, oh, does that mean it's just a bigger, grander piece than we can think about? It's just beyond our imagination. That's what it looks like. Well, Maybe, but I think that what Paul is trying to emphasize here is that this piece is of an entirely different nature to that which we might expect. If you're anything like me, you think you know what will give you peace. That I'm pretty sure I will have peace if my mortgage is paid off, if my bank balance is at a certain level, if my email inbox is completely clear, if I get that holiday that I think I deserve that my to-do list is completely empty and my dishwasher in my house finally starts working properly, then I will be at peace. And I'm imagining your list would look very similar or whatever, fill in your own blanks. But just imagine if all of those things happened. I'd imagine that I would feel peace. But almost by definition, that is a peace that is well within my understanding. I've literally just dreamed it up. This is a piece that goes beyond, surpasses my understanding. This can't be a piece that comes in the way that we would expect. Can't come by the means that we would design. This must be a piece that comes in the most unexpected ways that comes at the most unexpected, unplanned times, where we think peace is just logically impossible, surely it can't come to us, there it is to be found. I think this tells us that this is not the peace of an easy life, not the peace of a straightforward schedule, not the peace of kitchen appliances that work really well. This is not the peace of no dramas and no relationship tensions. This is not the peace that takes us out of the chaos and the noise and the tragedy of a broken world. It's not the peace that, as it came up in our worship, that moves the mountain away from us. It's the peace that meets us right on the front line, often in the most desperate of circumstances, that as we are praying to God and saying, God, would you take me out of this situation? The one that is right at hand steps into situation. 
he comes in to guard. He comes in to guard our hearts and minds. And the image that Paul is using here is of a garrison of soldiers coming to protect something of great value. And he's saying, even as the war is just raging out there, the soldiers will come and form an impenetrable fortress that cannot be got at around our deepest being. And what is so important for us to see here is that this is a straightforward, logical progression that Paul is writing out here. He sets up a conditional promise that if you do this, you will receive this. That if you rejoice, if you pray, and you give thanks at all times, you will know the peace of God that guards your hearts and your minds. It's a gift. It's available for everybody. This is one of the most stunning promises that we will find in Scripture. I'm sure many of you would agree. I've heard some people even cry over it. It's that good. But I think sometimes we love it and we hear it and we get so encouraged by it. But I do think sometimes we then divorce from it the conditions that come with the promise that we don't actually give proper attention, perhaps, to the very practical instructions that Paul gives us to get hold of this promise, this peace that we are so desperate for, that moves our hearts, that we long for, that we need to not just survive but to thrive, this peace that Paul walked in daily that enabled him to have complete calm in any situation and do the most extraordinary things for God that we can know today can be ours if we will heed his words. I want to urge us to hear these words of Paul today. To not just allow it to wash over us and think, wow, that peace of God is good. What's for lunch? But to hear, no, no, this is something that I can do something to make sure I get hold of. We're coming to the end of a month of prayer as a church. But I wonder if for you, there might actually be an encouragement for, maybe this is a year of prayer for you, for us. Then maybe you hear this and you think, I, I just cannot afford to not prioritize my prayer life and, and learning to worship Jesus on my own. That I need this peace. I have found myself to be too vulnerable over these last couple of years. And you might think, what might life be like for me if I really got hold of it? For you, this might just be starting really small. Maybe you've never prayed before. Maybe just one minute a day or every other day or just at some point this week, talking to God, telling him how you feel and asking him to help you. Maybe you're pretty good at praying. Maybe you've kind of grown in some of those things, but maybe adding worship into your prayer life is the next step for you. Or maybe even for you that exploring what the gift of tongues might look like in your own time. You're just quite sure, actually, I'm, I think that it might help me. It might take me on to the next level in my prayer life. All of us are going to be different, but all of us have room to grow. 
I think it seems so simple, actually, from the way that Paul lays it, lays it out. As we grow in prayer, we grow in peace. Now, I'm sorry, I have had planned to touch on the final two verses, but actually, for the sake of time, I, I want to give us an opportunity to respond. That Paul's here, Paul here, again, throughout verses 8 and 9, he's giving us a call to action. He's saying there are things that we can do in order to get hold of this peace that God has for us. One of the commentators that I, I read says that this, this passage is a call for us to get out of our chairs and to start living these things out. That as much as we might think of peace as stillness and passivity and almost the ab- absence of action, we are not just to wait and just think, I'm sure this peace of God will come to me at some point. This is a call to go. It's a call to do. Let's be a family who takes these words seriously as I want this peace of God. I'm going to choose to pray. I'm going to choose to rejoice in all things. I'm going to bring every situation at all times to him and give them over to him. Because I think the promise is clear. As we do these things, the God of peace will be with us. Could the band just come? We won't sing a song, but what I'd like to do is just create a moment for those that might want to respond. Um, This is a very personal thing in terms of getting hold of it, but I'd love to stand with those. Could we all just stand just to make it easier in a moment? I'm going to invite in a moment people to come forward who just, you feel like today's message or something in today's meeting has resonated with you. You want to get hold of this. And as I have been saying, this is not just a kind of, oh, one-shot deal, come to the front, get prayed for, then that's it, move on. This is, of course, an encouragement, a call into making changes on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, etc. But at the same time, we would love to stand with you, pray for you, give you strength and power as you go on into the next bit of your week. Maybe you're facing something in particular where you, th- you know, I need to explore a new depth of the peace of God. Or maybe you just know I've, I've dealt with a low level of, of unsettledness, uncertainty, anxiety, and I just want to know something greater of what God has for me. So not much of a lead up to decide whether you want to respond to it, but I believe that if God's working on you and, and calling you, I think you'll, you'll know.